Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. All right, and with me this week, I'm really excited about this conversation because it's it's not very often that there's relevant books in the space that I get to to talk to the authors super quickly. Um, but we have today with us Fotis Hansis and uh, Bo Woods, uh, who have just written, along with a bunch of other really awesome folks, a book on practical IoT hacking, which especially has a lot of context and a lot of uh, relevance to medical devices and clinical technologies and the like. So everybody who listens to this knows that's a favorite topic of mine. But with that, I'd love to have the two authors introduce themselves because they've done some incredible stuff in their careers uh, other than write a book. And uh, we'd love to hear that. So maybe Fotis, you want to start us off? Yeah. Hi, this is Fotis Hansis. I'm a security researcher. I've been working uh, in information security for many years now. And yeah, the book has been one of my recent projects. I'm really excited that it's out. I've also worked on the healthcare industry in the past, specifically at the Mayo Clinic. And this is actually one of the the backstory that we're probably gonna go over later. It's related to you know my experience there while hacking medical devices and how we you know we ended up doing uh, basically what is a superset of uh, medical devices, IoT, and wrote this uh, this book along with. Uh, Boots, Ioannis uh, Stais, Paulino Calderon, and uh, Evangelos uh, Dermenzoglu. It's a great roster. Bo, do you want to introduce yourself for those who, who don't know you already? Yeah, my name is Bo Woods. I kind of like photos. So I wear a lot of hats. Some of my past highlights. Yeah, I'll do the Troy McClure intro. You may know me from such places as uh, I and the Cavalry. I'm one of the folks who helps to, to run that and build it up. I have a small consulting firm. I do a bunch of the villages at DEF CON, uh, like the Aerospace Village and Hack the Sea. I started the Biohacking Village Device Lab, which I think Mike might be how I met you or maybe even before. I worked at the FDA for a little bit for a year, uh, doing a stint at US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency now, CISA, and just uh, always try and keep myself overwhelmed with projects and tasks. Because if you can try to do 150%, if you end up doing 100, then you're good. Yeah, it's the old shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you're still out in space somewhere. There you go. There you go. Like Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so guys, how did you end up writing this book? Where did the book come from? You know, give us the origin story. Yeah, so the origin story is that uh, initially I was uh, working... I, was, I have been a contributor to the NMAP project, uh, the network security scanner that we all uh, love and use. And that started back uh, in uh, Google Summer of Code 2009 and 2010 when I uh, wrote the NCRAC network authentication cracking tool of the NMAP project. And while I was maintaining that for a, um, you know, a bunch of years, at some point, I realized that there was a lot of work on uh, network security protocols, a lot of research that I had to do while developing the modules for NCRAC, and thought that it might be a good idea to, you know, to, to write something about analyzing these protocols and how this could potentially be attacked from their authentication standpoint. 
And the original idea was actually to write something about that because of, you know, um, I thought that it might be great to, you know, cross promote NCRAC and also to basically compile all these research notes into something that is more, you know, coherent and structured, uh, something like a book. So I sent the, the proposal to Bill Pollock, the founder of No Starts Press, which is our uh, book publisher. And his uh, original uh, reply was that this subject might be too too much of a niche, so it might be better off to write something else. So he basically told us that this might be better suited as a series of blog posts instead of uh, something like a book, uh, which made sense after hindsight. And so after that, because of my then work, uh, my then job at Mayo Clinic, while I was uh, basically conducting security assessments of uh, all sorts of medical devices from implantable pacemakers to infusion pumps to surgical robots. And I was doing these assessments like every two or three weeks. I had seen a lot of different devices and I thought this, this is another cool subject, you know, that might be worthwhile writing something about because it might be a great way to, you know, realize our own gaps in, in our knowledge and Writing a book is like the perfect way to, you know, when you, you when you try to simplify a, a subject and make this as easily understood by your readers as possible, you also learn a lot about what you don't understand and what you, you know, all the, the gaps in your mental models about the assessments you're conducting and all the different vulnerabilities that are out there. So uh, that was one of the reasons. The other reason was that the medical device security, as you are probably fully aware, uh, has been you know lacking in, in security awareness. It has been better the, the past few years, but back then it was slightly worse. And you know with our talks with vendors, uh, we realized that yeah security wasn't really their priority. So by writing a book that showed and demonstrated, how some of these devices are are prone to you know simple things such as hard-coded encryption keys that can be reused to you know attack the whole ecosystem of of the medical devices it would be it would be a great way to to teach people about that and to also motivate researchers to contribute to this to this kind of research uh, so we went, we sent the, that uh, new proposal to Bill Pollock and he was really excited this time, like writing about medical device security. But he then counter proposed that we should expand, you know, our subject to include the whole, you know, supersets of IoT. Of course, medical devices would be included, but let's also write about, you know, smart home devices, smart treadmills, routers, uh, IP cameras. and. It was also exciting for me because I also realized that uh, by doing that, we also can analyze a lot of those network security protocols that you know I had been delving into in the past. So basically, we we combined you know the best of of both worlds, and Kim you know worked on this book for the next two years. That is now like over four hundred. Uh, 50 pages and encompasses like 
this wide spectrum of subjects on everything IoT security. And you're not kidding. For those who haven't read the book yet, it covers everything from threat modeling to gaining entry to buildings to analyzing network protocols to hacking mobile devices. It, to me, it's you know what hacking exposed was 20 years ago in terms of sort of a soup to nuts manual for all the things you might have to do. This strikes me as you guys tried to basically do something similar except for what to do when hacking devices. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the cool thing about uh, IoT, that uh, you basically have to analyze the, the whole stack. And we do uh, describe that in uh, chapter three, the security testing methodology, where we examine, we break down the different layers into, you know, the physical or hardware layer, and then the network layer, a radio layer for you know those radio frequency protocols such as RFID, NFC, and LoRa, and so on, and also like the, the the cloud components that usually have an API, and then the mobile devices because many of those smart home devices also have an application component like an app on iOS or Android that can be also oftentimes be abused you know, by finding a bunch of vulnerabilities there to also attack the device itself and the, the cloud components. So we, we break down all these into these different layers and then we go in, uh, we structure the book in these different layers and we go and analyze each of these, you know, subtopics that, that belong to them. So for hardware hacking, for example, we do analyze uh, some of the most common debugging protocols like um, JTAG, the serial wire debug, protocol SPI and I squared C. UARTs also show people how to do a basic firmware hacking, how to extract it and analyze the, you know, the file system contents and all that. So yeah, I think this is also what's, uh, what is really interesting about the book that if you're interested in one particular area, like only want to focus on uh, hardware hacking, you can just skip the rest of the chapters and go back to them at a later uh, point and focus on how to focus on the subject that you really want. And we, we do provide exercises in, uh, in all of these uh, chapters that you know, basically walk you through step by step on how you can, you know, in your own home lab that you can set up with pretty cheap tools that you can buy off of the internet, also provide you with some good target devices that are also cheap and easy to, to find and are popular enough that they are not going to be uh, out of the market for the you know, foreseeable future. And basically the, the exercises I think are you know, what make this book being about practical IoT hacking. Absolutely. So let me let me get something out of the way. Let me ask the uh, you, you got to know there's somebody out there listening to us right now thinking Man, these guys just made a roadmap for how to hack every medical device on the planet, pretty much. And they provided exercises so that you're good at it before you do it. You both know me well enough, I think, to know that I'm not, uh, I'm not espousing that view. But what do you guys say to somebody who says that? And Bo, I see you smiling over there. Yeah, we took great pains in going through the process of making this book in such a way that we teach people to we teach people skills that they can employ safely and lawfully. So the whole first chapter or two of the book, depending on how you count the chapters, is dedicated to helping people understand some of the trade-offs that exist in IoT, helping people understand some of the things that they have to keep in mind. We had 
guest piece written by uh, Dr. Marie Mo, who I know you know. She is both a, a security researcher herself and you know struggles with issues of legality and uh, and dilemmas on how to disclose findings. But she's also a pacemaker patient who does research on the same types of devices that literally keep her alive. So she gave her perspective. We had Jay Radcliffe, who's a diabetic patient and a security researcher, give his perspective. We had uh, Harley Geiger, um, who has, uh, he's former congressional staffer who now works for a highly uh, sophisticated tech company, write about some of the, the legal impacts and how to stay safe when you're doing this type of research. We, this is one of the reasons why we talk about threat modeling quite a lot right up front is because we want people to think about what are the consequences of the things that I could do and how do I make sure that I do them in a safe manner and do them in a way that is lawful. And I think we did a really good job about it, but you know, I'm biased. I'd actually be really curious to hear what some of your listeners think when they read through it. And so I'd love to have some feedback because we, we do have the opportunity to go back for a 2.0 for this book um, since it's been really, really successful so far to be able to update some things and maybe add some edits uh, or drop some more content in and we can keep some things fresh on the website or or whatever. So that was definitely top of mind for us when we were writing this. And I don't think that we've been in industry long enough that I think that there's going to be enough good use of this book that ultimately raises the level of discourse in a positive way that I think that'll outweigh the negatives. But actually, a question that I've wanted to ask you guys since I knew that you wrote the book, because I think it's such an interesting topic. And Bo, you, you hit on this a little bit about how you do some of this research legally, and especially if you're talking about medical devices. I mean, the common way that we all do sort of medical device security research, unless we have a job doing it, is, you know, you go on eBay and you buy something off of eBay and you do all the things that you guys write about in your book to that thing. How do you handle that with FDA regulated devices? And especially you're dealing with something that's in the market. And so, you know, theoretically, you could be causing a recall for the vendor by reporting these things. How do you guys see that set of challenges? And, and do you have any thoughts on it? I know you've both worked in, in the medical device space over the years. Like, and, and Fotis, I got the benefit of some of your reports, even though we didn't know each other when I was at GE. I'm certain that some of the things that came to us from, from your previous employer had your name on them somewhere. But like, how do you guys see that process? And, and you know, what advice do you have for the people out there who might want to start thinking about this and, you know, go buy something off eBay and start dealing with that? Yeah, I think one of the, one of the things that really informed my philosophy in this is I'm the cavalry, which I mentioned earlier, has a position on disclosure. And the first line of that is those who want to do good should not inadvertently do harm, something like that. So we really thought about that quite a lot when we were writing this. And I think we've got a, a section in there, a piece in there about how to think about doing the types of disclosures, how to go through the process. We don't want to write a disclosure manual because there's plenty of those out there, but just understanding the consequences and then trusting that good people will do good things. When it comes to regulated medical devices, you know, the FDA in the past few years is, Mike, I know you know, um, and Fotis and I know, but some of the listeners may not know, has come a long way in terms of creating a safe space for medical device makers, security researchers, the regulator, 
healthcare providers, doctors, patients to come together and have conversations, to stimulate those conversations. And when there are issues or potential issues, for people to be able to report them in a way that allows them to collaborate in that kind of safe environment so that ultimately uh, the information can be made available to the right people to make the best decision in consideration of all of the other topics. And again, you know, I'll, I'll go back to Jay and Marie. They're having conversations with their physicians that are much different than the conversations that most people will have. In these cases, you know, Jay and Marie are more informed about some of the cyber side effects than uh, the doctors will be. And then the medical device makers may even be, depending on who you're talking to at the medical device maker. So we want to be able to facilitate that ability to share information to the right places so that people can make the right decisions. And just one anecdote, as a part of this, when we looked at doing some disclosures with some of the companies that we did testing with, not all of them were willing to issue patches or they were devices that were so far out of date that they couldn't be updated. So we actually just created our own IoT device. Uh, we got together with some other people through OWASP, through Google Summer of Code, and we created something called the IoT GOAT, uh, which is the OWASP's kind of training lab for this based on um, some IoT standard software uh, that runs on standardized hardware but is virtualizable. Uh, and that has known vulnerabilities so that people can go poke and prod and test. And for anybody who's interested in learning more, uh, I think we may open that project up a little bit more uh, and look to extend it, improve it, build on it a little bit. So, you know, maybe, maybe check back with us and see if there's opportunities to do that. Yeah, IoT Goat is, uh, is a really cool project that is, at this point, uh, I believe is mostly focusing on uh, firmware hacking. So I'd say um, it's more geared towards uh, doing some of the you know, software analysis that we also uh, cover in the book. But for uh, hardware hacking specifically, in terms of, of the chapters that we wrote, we took you know, great care. Uh, and like I mentioned before, we, 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 sp we actually spent a lot of time brainstorming to find you know, those right devices, uh, both in terms of the attacking tools uh, like the bus pirate and the target devices um, like the the black pill which is like uh, an STM32 uh, uh, device uh, microcontroller uh, so that they are both easy to to find uh, easy to to purchase and also at the same time will be available you know in the, uh, on the market out there in the next few years so question for you guys beyond beyond the simple answer of read our book suppose i'm a you know i, I work at a hospital and i'm a, a junior security analyst and i'm curious about how to get into all of this kind of stuff and this is why i say beyond just read the book because obviously read the book is is step one where do you start especially i mean you, you guys came from the same place that i did we all started at one point not knowing how to do these things how do you get into it if you are, you know, 23 years old and you've never you've never hacked anything before and you pick up your book? Like, where do you start? What do you think? I think um, with IoT, it's it's interesting because it's 
the differences in IoT between IoT and like an enterprise network or a laptop that you might have hanging out. Um, is there expanded capabilities? There's expanded trade, you know, very different trade-offs. They live in different environments. But one of the things that's good about that is that IoT is so broad that there's an entry point that you're probably already fairly familiar with. So if you already know how to do some network testing, cool. Maybe start on the network side and then work your way into web and hardware and JTAG and bus pirate and radio frequency. If you know one of those other aspects, start there and work your way someplace else. I think a lot of times people get intimidated because it has aspects that they don't know rather than focusing on the aspects where they do know and, and diving in that way. Um, I know uh, for my own personal journey, it was uh, basically like that. It started like that. It was starting on the network side, which I knew well, and the endpoint side, which I knew a little bit, and then building out some other knowledge sets uh, and capabilities um, until uh, you know I understood a lot of the concepts for various different things. Even if I couldn't do the hands-on hardware pieces, uh, I could at least understand how they worked enough to be able to think about how I might go about deconstructing or understanding or interfacing with them. Yeah, and I think the the other point to make is that it's so easy to to find any kind of smart device in your home. You already have we already have more devices than we realize that could be great training examples for for any researcher. So Take, for example, you might have, you know, an, an old router that you no longer use, or you might have an IP camera, or you might have your, your smart TV. You know, you can just, uh, you know, buy um, a simple, you know, uh, you, you can even do it in with your, probably with your existing Wi-Fi chipsets and just start capturing the traffic and see what, what goes out there and you could start from there or like with bluetooth even you know just start by seeing what your smartphone does or uh if you have a fitbit or some other kind of you know smart wearable device same thing you can just buy a cheap beer or bluetooth low energy device and start capturing the traffic and see how that works and you'll be surprised how uh, outdated some of these devices can be in terms of, of their security posture and how vulnerable they are. Like one of our co-authors, Paulino, he recently, he did some research on, you know, a simple thing like a smart water bottle that apparently, you know, you think when you, when you get that device that what could go wrong with this? Like how can, could someone abuse that? And apparently there are ways to do that. And one of them, <laughs> one of them is that it was a huge privacy violation because it would expose your, your uh, location to cloud component and the cloud component was vulnerable to, you know, a bunch of easy SQL injection attacks that could then be accessible by anyone uh, from the internet. So there you go. You buy a simple thing as a, as a smart water bottle that, you know, seems quite benign at first. You could actually give off your location to any adversary out there. Yeah. And Photos, you make a great point. There's a lot of low hanging fruit in IoT too. So sometimes it comes from, you know, novice developers, right? If I taught myself programming and taught myself how to develop hardware, I can start a Kickstarter size project, right? It, it doesn't meet the level of rigor for which you would want a medical device to be made or a car to be made, for instance. 
Um, so it, you, you have some sometimes naive or novice decisions on uh, protocols or security, but also you've got, uh, I mentioned trade-offs earlier. If you're using something that's battery powered or that uses a small microcontroller, you don't have the ability to do strong encryption, for instance, or if you do strong encryption, you're going to uh, really drain the battery life really, really quickly or overheat the device really, really quickly. So there are some uh, even well-intentioned experienced developers will sometimes make some trade-offs that open things up in more of a plain text, an older protocol where it might be easier to start dissecting it than a more modern, you know, full TLS stack that's got, you know, pinned certificates like we like to see in our apps and cloud-based uh, environment. You can't always do that in IoT. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think makes it challenging to build IoT and fun to, to pull it apart because you can also learn stuff. There's protocols in IoT that you'll never see anywhere else that, you know, somebody dug up from somewhere or that are really new and really fun to play with. Like I think uh, Fotos, isn't this the first book that we know of that uh, talks about LoRaWAN? Yeah, exactly. Laura and LoRaWAN, the long range uh, protocol, uh, widely used in you know farms and containers for uh, smart sensors that need to be low powered and also cover at the same time super long range. So there wasn't really so they have to they had to find some balance between uh, saving energy and making these sensors last for maybe five or, or even ten years and at the same time being able to cover a long distance. So things, you know, protocols like Wi-Fi or 4G wouldn't be up to that because obviously they uh, waste a lot of energy. And then other protocols like that are shorter range, like Zigbee, again wouldn't cut the job. We realize that LoRa hasn't really been explored yet out there. Uh, there was like uh, some some research, um, like two, one or two presentations at uh, DEFCON and a bunch of other security conferences, but not really anything, you know, structured in terms of uh, analyzing the, the protocol from, from scratch. And we dedicated a whole chapter on that to, to help readers both expose them to something that is, you know, new and exciting and, I guess, less common. At the same time, you know, uh, raise awareness about how easy it is to, again, uh, exploit some of the aspects of it that are usually a result of, uh, again, misconfiguration or, for example, some of the hard-coded encryption keys that are meant to only be used in de development um, or testing environments, and they might use that as a, as a production um, environment, which we, we've also seen in, in other you know, hardware devices. For example, when you see uh, an infusion pump uh, having a JTAG uh, exposed, which is actually the, the end product, uh, you, you ask yourself, why didn't they remove that in, you know, why do they just keep it for their, you know, uh, testing for their test beds? And, and of course, the, the, the obvious reply there from the vendor is that, okay, what if something goes wrong and we need to debug that and, you know, we have to come on site and do that. And yeah, that's a valid answer, but then probably take some extra security measures and not expose it unauthenticated, right? Uh, like a, with UART, we've seen cases where you just connect to the serial interface and you are 
immediately you, you have a root shell on the device, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I, can't, I can't count the number of times I saw that. And then Fotis, to your point about, about wireless protocols, I, that was always my, when I worked in medical device security, as soon as a, as soon as the development team said, we're, we're not using Wi-Fi, we're using our own radio protocol. I was like, okay, big red flag. Like you guys go immediately to the front of the line. We need to send people over there and help you guys out because I'm sure you did something. Uh, guys, we could do this all day. I, I love having you both on. We, I, we should do this again and, and get nerdy about other stuff, but I, I, I don't want to keep everybody forever. Um, so the book's called Practical IoT Hacking. It's on Amazon and all the other places, but where can people find you guys? You know, if, if I want to chat with you, if I want more of you all, where, where do I see you? Where do I... Uh, find you to interact online, et cetera, et cetera. Bo? Yeah, I'm I'm just at Bo Woods on Twitter, at B-E-A-U-W-O-O-D-S. Uh, I'm not clever enough to actually come up with a decent handle, so that's what I am on most social media platforms. And Fotis? I mean, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. The handle is Filgor, uh, I-T-H-I-L-G-O-R-E. I also have, like, my own personal website, uh, Sok. Uh, dashrow.org where I post most of my research and you know you can also see you know old papers and all that that I've written uh, we're all out there in, in on social media and um, LinkedIn and uh, it's it's easy to find us <laughs> with a simple and, uh, search. look for us too at the RSA conference we're going to be doing some things there also teaming up with IOT Village for some other events we're trying to get out there more we're trying to make sure that people know how to again safely and lawfully understand how to hack IOT devices that's awesome all right Bo and Fotis thanks again for coming on this was this was a blast and uh, we'll chat again soon thank you for having us Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.